Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Friday, March. Checks the calendar. 6, 2020. Jay Zawoski with you here. Yes, I'm still in Arizona. This is being recorded Friday, February 28th, 2020. So I don't know what's happened between this recording and when you're hearing it. Uh, hopefully, you know, the Blackhawks are still intact. Not the whole world's been fine. I don't know. It's, it's very strange for me to do a, a podcast a week out. But I think it will be generic enough to hold up. I hope so. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'm back on Monday, so get in right. Get the get those questions in for Talk Back Tuesday. 708-653-0572 is the voicemail. Lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com is the email. Follow the show on Twitter at L O underscore Blackhawks. My personal account at Jaysawaski670 and the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. Now, last episode you heard from Kendall Coyne on the Best of Blackhawks episode. Hope you enjoyed hearing that again. If you missed it the first time, I was going to bring back Eddie Olchek, which was a great interview too, but it was almost all about the trade deadline. So it didn't stand up anymore, unfortunately. But we'll be doing a lot more interviews as the season goes on here. Um, you know, as the Hawks sort of uh, fade into obscurity when the playoffs are about to begin. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Again, this was a week ago. Maybe they beat. Anaheim and Edmonton and they're going to probably beat the Red Wings tonight right maybe they're right back in the playoff race who knows I don't know it's Friday a week ago leave me alone so we'll be doing a lot more interviews sort of things as the season goes on but today we're going to do a talk back Tuesday style show on Friday so let's start it off with a lovely voicemail hey uh Jay long time listener first time caller but uh Sean from uh, West Lawn. Uh, just wondering, all the moves that Stan Bowman made last year, how much do you think that had to do with the upcoming expansion draft with uh, the Seattle team coming in? Thanks for the question. The expansion draft is in 2021, so uh, not, not anytime soon, but some things to keep in mind here. So here are the rules of the 2021 expansion draft, which follows the same exact rules as 2017 so here you go. Uh, there's no pre-draft trades. All no-movement clauses are honored. So if a player does not agree to be unprotected, he can't be if he's got a no-movement clause. Players who have become restricted free agents in 2020 or 21 remain with current teams. Players who will become unrestricted free agents in 2020 or 21 either remain with current teams or are left off lists entirely. Okay, so there's something to look at. The hockey news here is projecting that the Blackhawks will protect in here's what you're allowed to protect seven forwards three defense and a goalie so when this was written back in July here's what they said Jonathan Taze Patrick Kane Alex DeBrinkett Dylan Strom they said Brendan Perlini no Alexei Sorella gone and Alex Nylander I would add assuming and this is tough because there's a lot of guys that are unsigned here like Dylan Strom if they re-sign Kubelik, he will be protected, you have to believe. And who knows who the other forward might be. They've got some flexibility there. Um, Brandon Saad could be gone by then. He's a free agent after next year. But that's sort of what it looks like. Defensemen, Keith and Seabrook have no movement clauses. Calvin DeHaan would be a candidate to go. Oli Mato would be a candidate to go. Uh, you know, who knows? So it's hard to really dissect what they're going to do up until... We know what the roster looks like, but again, guys like Andrew Shaw, David Kampf, Oli Mata, Connor Murphy, those are the kind of guys they could leave exposed 
due to, and again, this is another reason why you don't have so many damn no movement clauses. You're going to probably lose a guy you don't want to lose because you've got some guys you'd probably hope to lose with no movement clauses. So it kind of screws the whole plan up. So thanks for the question. Thanks for the question. Next question comes via email. It's a little bit longer. This is from Stefan. I hope I said that right. Or Stefan says, I was wondering if it is, if it is, he says, they say, I was wondering if a discussion point topic could be what, if any lessons should the Blackhawks take on how the Panarin situation ended up? Should, and should any of those lessons be applied to how they treat Kubelik? I'm not saying they're going to be the same player, but there are some similarities. Both came from high-end European leagues where they were a respective top scorer. Both had and are having 30-goal rookie seasons. That's all my small brain could come up with, but still. Also, he says, any advice for a fan who's leaving Chicago? My wife and I are moving to Denver, and while I'm very excited about the move, I'm already a bit apprehensive about not having my favorite teams in my backyard. I'll be glad to have your podcast. Keep me updated. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate that. Um, Yeah, you know, the, the Kubelik and Panarin similarity is hard to ignore. Guys who came in sort of as established they were rookies, but they're older than most. And, you know, I, you know, it's hard for me to look back and say what the Hawks should have done with Panarin. It's almost impossible to imagine a scenario where he's still on the team. Okay, when he joined the Blackhawks, he was making, I think it was like just over, um, when he joined the team, he was making just over 800000 as a cap hit, but his salary with bonuses and everything was 3.5. That was the AAV, okay? Then he signs his next contract. He wants a bridge deal, which is what the Hawks gave him. Two years at $6 million each, so a $12 million total contract. They traded him shortly after that for Brandon Saad, who had a similar cap hit but more years left. Then before this season begins, he signs an $11.6 million unrestricted free agent contract with the Rangers. Okay, No way the Hawks could do that. No way. And... When you look back at it, yes, Panarin's a better player than Saad. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think he wanted to sign beyond two years. He wanted to bet on himself, which was a wise bet for Artemi Panarin. And had the Hawks not traded him for Brandon Saad, they wouldn't have anything to show for him right now. He would have walked away as a free agent. Now, in hindsight, we'd love to say, why didn't the Hawks lock him up You know, for four years, $8 million? Fair. That's a fair thing to do, but let me ask you this right now while we're thinking about this, okay? Dominic Kubelik had a great rookie season. There's no doubt about it. He's going to have about 30 goals, right? Panarin's first year with the Hawks, he had exactly 30 goals. 30 goals, 47 assists, 77 points. So that's more than what Kubelik's going to end up with, for the record. Kubelik right now has 40 points, 26 goals and 14 assists. There's no way he's going to get to 77 in 21 more games when I'm recording this. But are you confident, as a Hawks fan, that you want to pay Dominic Kubelik $6 million, $7 million for four more years based on one year's performance? That's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow, I think. I would do the same thing the Hawks did with Panarin. You lock him up for two years, maybe you can talk him into a third for... Four and a half, five, five and a half, maybe even six. But it's hard for me to say, here's four or five years when you've only seen him do it for one season. And 
he doesn't have the offensive production that Panarin had. Now, here's the difference. Panarin was a fixture on the Blackhawks' power play when he was here. Him and Patrick Kane were such a duo, it was ridiculous. Kubelik did not have that luxury under Jeremy Cowden. It took Kubelik a long time to appear on the power play regularly. And that's a criticism of Cowden for sure. With regular power play time, with top six line mates all season, could Kubelik be close to 70 points, 75 points? Still probably not. But 60s, low 70s, I think that's realistic. So that's the thing. That's the tough, that's the dilemma these GMs are in. And it's really tough for me after one year to go commit, you know, $24 million or $30 million in Dominic Kubelik. But here's an idea. If you're afraid to do that, don't give him a no movement clause. Hmm. Interesting theory. It is Talk Back Tuesday on a Friday, recorded last Friday here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. We're going to go right back out to the voicemails. Hey, Jay, it's Jesse and Joliet. I know we've talked about it a couple times, and I know you feel the same way that Bowman needs to go. But do you think there's a way the fan base can show Bowman or show the Hawks that fans are upset with Rocky or with uh, Stan and they can finally get rid of him this year. The moves he's made is horrible. Uh, the way he's handled Laner is ridiculous. So I'm just curious if you think that there's any way for the fan base to show Rocky that they're tired of dealing with what we've been dealing with the last couple of years. Thanks. Thanks for the question. Uh, always a, sort of a delicate topic with me. Um, as a guy who's worked in sports radio so long, we always hear from fans like, we need to boycott the team, and it never works. It never happens. No one actually invests in doing it. But look, the move I remember from this year that really maybe made an impact, and you actually heard about this sort of working right after. Remember the NBA All-Star game a couple weeks ago? Uh, one of the ESPN shows, the one with Stephen A. Smith, First Take or Hot Lunch or Cold Pizza, whatever it's called, they were at Navy Pier. And Zach Levine of the Bulls was a guest on the show. And as they were interviewing the panel, a bunch of fans were there watching. And as soon as John Paxton and Gar Foreman's names came up, the crowd booed and started a fire, Gar Paxton. And the chant was loud and it was obvious. And it was being done by Bulls fans in Bulls gear there to support Bulls players. Days later, we started finally, for the first time, hearing about the Bulls reconsidering their front office, maybe bringing in a replacement for Gar Foreman, etc. So things like that, public displays of frustration. Look, I'm not advocating this, but if you want the Hawks to get your message, every home game, there's Pat Boyle or Jamal Mayers or Steve Conroy or whoever they have out there that day. In the atrium at the United Center, you can get behind them with your sign. You can get a group of people behind them to chant what you want to chant. Fire Bowman, fire Cowton, whatever. That is Blackhawks-owned broadcasts. And if their fans are voicing their opinions on live TV during a product they own, that could have some sort of impact. I still think that 
to not think Rocky Wirtz is sort of aware of the situation and how fans feel is a little naive. But if you truly want your protest to have an impact, that's how you have to do it. it. You can't be looked at as like a rogue group of meatballs who just wants to get on TV and make some noise. It's got to be coordinated. It's got to be organized. It's got to be, I guess there's no way to professionally chant for someone's firing, but make sure everyone's on message. Make sure everyone's doing the same thing and it will have an impact. I promise you that. All right, let's take another email. This one comes from Robert. And this is a good question, Robert. Why did Mitch Rosen, who is the program director of the score, allow the rival sports radio station in town, that's ESPN 1000, to have a hockey show first? I know he seems very supportive of you and lets you do things like the I'm Fat Podcast and Madhouse Podcast and I assume Locked On, but why didn't he give you a weekly hockey program? Uh, I cannot lie to you, and I have to say that I had the same thought. as, And I've thought this for a while. Why can't there be a weekly Hawks show during the season where I do an hour or two hours? Maybe me and James Neveau from the Madhouse Podcast do an hour or two. You're telling me that once a week in the hockey season, we can't dedicate an hour or two to the Blackhawks. I've said this for a long time, and I've mentioned it before on this podcast. The target demographic of sports radio is men 25 to 54. Okay, That is the key demographic for a station like mine, 670 The Score. That is who we're trying to appeal to, and if you listen to our ads, you'll hear Ads aimed towards those kind of things. ED medications, baldness treatments, cars, real estate, gambling, all the things that men 25 to 54 purchase and think about and live, right? Hawks fans that were 15 or 13 or 10 when the Blackhawks started getting really, really good, when the rest of the teams in town sucked, a lot of those people, that are now 20, 23, 25, grew up with the Hawks being their main team. There is an absolute hockey audience in this town. And I've said it on the air at the score, so I'm not saying anything out of turn here. The score has done a bad job at supporting Hawks fans. They've done a great job at supporting me, and I love it and I'm appreciative. But there are way more hockey fans out there then the score gives credit to the other thing unrelated to hockey is I think we underserve Notre Dame fans as well. A lot of our hosts come from the North side where Notre Dame is not the fan base. It is out South towards where I grew up in Oak Lawn or in Mount Greenwood or Beverly or those sort of areas where it's Notre Dame crazy. Those are two markets. I think we've underserved Blackhawks, especially over the last 10 years and Notre Dame football. Two things that I think we could sort of monetize a little bit that we've kind of missed on. So, yeah, I agree. Robert's next question is, who is the bigger D-bag, Dan Bernstein or Danny Parkins? Asking for all of Chicago, I hate to disappoint you, but neither guy is a D-bag. They're both really good dudes who I like very much. I know that's not what you wanted to hear, but I'm always honest, and that is my honest assessment. Neither is a D-bag. They can both be annoying, and they know that, but both good dudes uh, with good hearts and good intentions, and uh, I like them both very, very much. So there's your answer. Sorry to disappoint. I wish it was a little juicier. 
One more segment to go here on Lockdown Blackhawks. Thanks for tuning in. Despite me being out of town, I am back Monday. I know you miss me. I'm sorry. I know you really, really miss me. I'm sure you're very, very sad. Oh, boy. All right. Back to the voicemails we go. Hi, this is Jane from Highland Park, and I have a question. Um, you know, I agree that uh, Stan Bowman is just a tragedy. And um, one of the questions I have is that, um, you know, during the the dynasty era, when they were putting together the winning team, um, isn't it true that Scotty Bowman was on the payroll as well? And do you think that a lot of Stan's success during that period was because he had his dad um, in the background sort of calling the shots. Um, what do you think? Is this just a conspiracy theory, or do you think there might be something to this? Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for the voicemail. This is a very interesting topic. Stan Bowman, whoop, I did, that was a Freudian slip. Scotty Bowman is still employed by the Blackhawks. He is their senior advisor to hockey operations. Um, his involvement varies on who you talk to. Um, you know, some will say he's involved all the time. Some will say he's barely around. I tend to f- believe the latter. I think that Scotty Bowman is more of a figurehead than anything. I think they'll they'll ask his opinion on some things. And look, if I was a Hawks GM and my dad was Scotty Bowman, I'd be asking him stuff all day. Why wouldn't you? That's a great resource to have. That said, I don't know how involved Scotty is. I, I, I do know he's not very involved in the day-to-day, in the trades, in the discussions on free agents, things like that. Again, he is an advisor, and I think over recent years that role has shrunk from what it was when he started, but I still don't think it was ever hugely, hugely important. I don't think that's the difference with Stan's success earlier and his failure recently. Stan had success earlier because there was a great core of players here that were still in their primes. There was Marion Hosa here. Um, you know, Duncan Keith was not 36. Brent Seabrook was not 36. They were just in better position. And now that all those guys have gotten paid and they've all started aging, aside from Kane and Taves, a lot of those guys have had drop-offs. Marion Hosa just flat retired. And for all the people that thought that was the Hawks trying to escape cap hell, that's ridiculous. Find me a scenario where the Blackhawks were better off without Marion Hosa. Absolutely not. Even if his production was down a little bit, he was on the power play, he was on the penalty kill, still one of the best two-way forwards in the game. Even now, I think they'd be better with Marion Hosa than without him. So I don't buy that at all. I think Bowman's failures have been contractual, namely the Brent Seabrook thing. He's made some trades that made sense that haven't worked out. He's made some trades that don't make sense, like the Yokoharu for Nylander that haven't worked out. But I think when you look at the big picture of things, you're, he's dealing with an aging core that had to get paid, and that's why the success has not been there like it was early on in the dynasty. I think it's it's really, truly just a story of talent. Question here from TJ in Virginia. He says, I went to the Lightning game last night, Panthers game Saturday, maybe a bit of spring training this weekend. The Hot Mike episode on Friday was great. Thank you. I hope you all do more of that. It was super fun. We absolutely will. When I get back from Arizona, I'm going to line up some hot mic broadcasts for sure. He says, first up, not really for the podcast, just my opinion, but feel free to use it. This week is proven why Leonard is out. He's a downer. I mean, he's Eeyore. Pin a tail on him. Even if the players like him, which I honestly would doubt, 
The Twitter bashing is nonsense. He absolutely said he wasn't taking a hometown discount. If he worked in an office environment, he would be the person everyone avoided. That's a little strong. However, I will agree with you, TJ, that he did absolutely say, not verbatim, but that he would not take a discount. After he made those comments, when we talked about it on this podcast and the Madhouse podcast, and I said over and over again, Robin Leonard's not taking a discount. No one called me out on that. No one said, that's not what he said. That's what he said. We all interpreted it that way. It was written that way, and no comments were made about it until after the trade was made. So I don't think he was disliked by his teammates. I really don't think that. I could see, though, why a front office who's a little nervous about their futures, rightly or wrongly, could be a little leery about having him around. He talks a lot. He says what's on his mind. And would you ever think if Robin Leonard said, I don't think the GM's doing his job, would you put that over his head? I sure as hell don't. And that would be a disaster for a guy who should be and maybe is on the hot seat in Stan Bowman. All right, here's the next question for TJ. Let's imagine the Hawks are putting a new team statue outside to celebrate the 2010 decade Hawks. Who gets in? Obviously, the Con Smythe top 100 all-time guys get in, Taves, Keith, and Kane. The next three, I think, that are locks are three cup winners, Seabrook, Sharp, and Hosa. The only three-cup winner that isn't a lock that should be included is Jalmerson. Does Coach Q get in? Which two-time cup winners get in? Crawford's the easiest, but Shaw, Versteeg, Campbell, Burrish, Bickle, Boland, Kruger, Saad, Mayers, Oduya, who makes it? All right. I have a Taves, Kane, and Keith trophy. And I have it. I find an image of the three of them with the cup. It has to exist somewhere. Like the three of them holding it up together. Or maybe you just have like Keith holding a Norris and Taves holding a Consmite and Kane holding the cup or something. You make a statue of the three of them. Then I have his Coach Q statue for sure. I'm retiring 1988, 2, 7, and 50. And I think Marion Hosa is right there. But because he was not developed by the team, I think he's out. So Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook, Crawford, all guys that were drafted and developed by the Blackhawks, they get their numbers retired. That's my fair criteria. Wonder if you agree. If you don't, let me know. LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Great question, TJ. I really enjoyed that one. Um, Yeah, good stuff. So thank you guys for contributing to the Lockdown Blackhawks week off for me. Uh, Did three podcasts on Friday when I got home from work. I'm taking off uh, Saturday, the 29th, which already happened. I'm home already when you're listening to this, basically. Um, But look, thank you for sticking with it in a slow week. But I'll be back full speed every day starting on Monday. So thank you for your patience. Can't wait to talk to you. Can't wait to react to some damn hockey games again. This is Lockdown Blackhawks. We are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.